0: This is broadcast producer Desi Doyan. We're off this week, so we're re-airing our special coverage of the four historic criminal indictments of Donald J. Trump. Today's episode, Special Counsel Jack Smith's second federal indictment from August 2nd, 2023. This is Donald Trump conspiring to commit an armed robbery to steal the votes oh. of the people in those states to really? steal the election from them to oh. steal the election in each of these states thank
1: you joy reed was that so difficult doesn't hurt that she follows me on twitter i guess
2: well, I don't know why I came here tonight. i'll take what i can get i got the feeling something right you know what I, i'm so scared in case i fall off my chair this me to the right here I am middle
1: from Pacifica radio in Los Angeles this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA as a matter of fact it's a special edition of the broadcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Quote, It has to be made clear that trying to violently overthrow the government, trying to stop the peaceful transition of power and assaulting law enforcement officers in that effort, is going to be met with absolutely certain punishment. That quote was not from special counsel Jack Smith announcing Donald Trump's latest indictment on four federal felony counts, including conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding and conspiracy against civil rights in attempting to steal the right to vote. ...of millions of Americans in his attempt to steal the 2020 presidential election. In fact, that quote was from U.S. District Court Judge in D.C., Tanya Chutkin... ...who was randomly drawn to oversee the former president's new indictment. Judge Chutkin is known for tough sentences for January 6th defendants. In fact, she is the only judge who has reportedly issued harsher sentences in some cases... Than those sought by prosecutors. Good. So she has already made some decisions that almost have certainly infuriated the newest D.C. January 6 defendant. The Obama appointed jurist ruled in the fall of 2021 that the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee investigating January 6 could, in fact, access Reams of Donald Trump White House files as part of their probe. Her ruling was subsequently upheld by an appeals court and by the Trump-packed U.S. Supreme Court. She made clear at the time her horror over the attack at the U.S. Capitol, lamenting back then... Over the prospect of renewed political violence in 2024 and noting that no one accused of orchestrating the effort to subvert the election had been held accountable, at least not at that point. The evidence she allowed access to by the House committee two years ago, that would be call logs, memos, internal strategy papers, emails and more from the desks of Trump's most trusted advisors, became the backbone of the committee's evidence, which ultimately shaped much of both the public understanding of Trump's multiple failed efforts to steal the 2020 presidential election and the ensuing federal indictment for it handed up by a D.C. grand jury to the judge on Tuesday as sought by special counsel Jack Smith. In her ruling two years ago, allowing Congress to review those records from the former president's White House, Judge Chutkin uh, in her opinion, almost certainly stung Trump at the time when she wrote, "Quote: Presidents are not kings, and plaintiff is not president." Jack Smith would appear to agree. Noting in the first paragraph of his 45-page indictment, in case anybody still had any question about it, that, quote, the defendant, Donald J. Trump, lost the 2020 presidential election. Despite having lost, the the indictment explains, the defendant was determined to remain in power. So for more than two months following election day on November 3, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won. He was, according to the indictment, aided in his desperate, pathetic, knowing and wildly dangerous scheme Uh, By at least six still uncharged co-conspirators described but not named in the indictment, but known to include rogue Trump attorneys Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Sidney Powell, Kenneth Cheesebro, the dude who appears to have come up with the fake elector strategy to try and steal the election on January 6th. Also described, but not named, is then-rogue DOJ Assistant Attorney General Jeffrey Clark and a still-unidentified political consultant described by Jack Smith as having helped implement the plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceedings. Key to Jack Smith's charges is that Trump knew he was lying about fraud in the 2020 election, After he had been informed by his own top advisors and appointees in his own campaign, in his White House, at his Department of Justice, at other federal agencies, and by top state and local officials, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, many of which are detailed in the indictment that, He was told that there was no such fraud that could have changed the outcome of the 2020 results for him in any of the states that he was claiming, ironically enough, were stolen from him. Just a couple very quick examples among scores in the indictment. Uh, paragraph 25 on page 13. On December 8, 2020, a senior campaign advisor who spoke with the defendant, that would be Trump, on a daily basis and had informed him on multiple occasions that various fraud claims were untrue, expressed frustration that many of co-conspirator one, that would be Giuliani, and his legal team's claims could not be substantiated. As early as mid-November, for instance, the senior campaign advisor had informed the defendant, Trump, that his claims of a large number of dead voters in Georgia were untrue. On December 8th, the senior campaign advisor wrote in an email, quote, When our research and campaign legal team can't back up any of the claims made by our elite strike force legal team, you can see why we're O and 13 on our cases. I'll obviously hustle to help on all fronts, he said, but it's tough to own any of this when it's all just conspiracy bleep beamed down from the mothership. One other example, paragraph 28. Page 14 on December 23, 2020, a day after the defendant's chief of staff, that would be Mark Meadows, personally observed the signature verification process at the Cobb County Civic Center in Georgia and notified defendant Trump that state election officials were, quote, conducting themselves in an exemplary fashion, unquote, and would find fraud if it existed. The defendant then went out and tweeted that the Georgia officials administering the signature verification process were trying to hide evidence of election fraud and were, quote, terrible people. Well, someone's a terrible person here, but it wasn't those folks in Georgia trying to do a post-election signature audit heroically in the middle of a deadly pandemic. All of Trump's claims of fraud and having won the 2020 election, writes Smith, quote, Were false, and the defendant, Trump, knew that they were false. But the defendant repeated and widely disseminated them anyway to make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate, create an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger, and erode public faith in the administration of the election. Defendant Donald J. Trump may now finally be held to account for his knowing lies and his blatant and happily failed attempts as president of the United States to try and steal the 2020 presidential election. But we will see. Trump will be arraigned for these crimes before Judge Chutkin at the federal courthouse in Washington, D.C. on Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And that is the news which broke just minutes before airtime on our previous broadcast, sending the delightful Desi Doyne and me scrambling. To toss out our previous uh, planned hour and uh, cover the breaking news with a semblance of cogency. Is that a word, Desi
0: doing? <laughs> we tried. All, uh, all I can say is we tried. Yeah,
1: we did try. Uh, happily today, we'll have a bit of help. But hello, Desi. Uh, and uh, ho- I take it you're a little bit less frazzled than yes, yesterday. Much better today. That's only because Fani has not come in with her indictments <laughs> yet uh, before airtime. Anyway, second, I'm happy to be joined today by two favorite guests of ours to hopefully offer some well-reasoned insight and perspective 24 hours or so later. How easy for them. As uh, as noted at the end of yesterday's program, we would indeed be sending up the Digby signal, and happily she answered it uh, after having joined us on this program for just about every major moment in the nightmarish Trump presidency. <laughs> From the day he came down the escalator uh, through his reign of terror on the Constitution and the public and indeed the world, up through what is now officially his third personal felony indictment, in about four months. Heather Digby-Parton is the proprietor of the long-running Hullabaloo blog and a regular award-winning columnist at Salon.com. Oh, Heather, thank you for answering the call.
3: I am so happy to be here today. I can't tell you.
1: It is uh, great to have you here. I can't tell you. Also answering the call on short notice is our old friend Drift Glass, also known as Mr. Electrico on the social media site formerly known as Twitter and even occasionally known as just Bill at least to his wife with whom he has long hosted the professional left podcast recorded every Friday rain or shine as they say from what they lovingly describe as flyover country Illinois oh drift glass Mr. Electrico or Bill welcome back to the broadcast, amigo
4: well, thank you. It's a pleasure being here on this day.
1: Nobody believes you, but uh, it is a pleasure, actually. Uh, as I say, uh, three out of what are expected to be four indictments, I think, before this uh, before this month is over. I, and I know that this is uh, the one, however, that many have been waiting for. In truth, I'm still more interested in, in what comes out from Fonnie Willis in Fulton County, Georgia, but let's start. Uh, let's start with Digby here. While we've known this was coming, we've known this day was coming for a long time. Were there any surprises for you in uh, in Jack Smith's forty five page charging document unsealed on Tuesday?
3: Well, I think what surprised me most was that he ended up just indicting Donald Trump and had hmm. this these other six as the co conspirators, uh, unindicted co conspirators. And apparently, there's a reason for that. They They think that maybe this will get you know it will cause fewer delays to just have donald trump be the the sole um subject of the indictment and they Mm -hmm. are theoretically going to possibly indict some of these others unless somebody else tries to flip and i will just say as we're waiting for bonnie willis to perhaps drop her yes. tape today yes. I did read on Twitter a passing note that they thought maybe some of these co-conspirator indictments might be coming down today. So just so you know, I don't know oh. if it's true, but I just saw it in passing.
1: Okay, well, as long as it doesn't come in over the next hour or so, we'll be fine, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> d- a drift Glass, uh, your first impressions and or anything that struck or surprised you about uh, Trump's now third indictment?
4: Um, well, it, it did come down moments uh, before we were going to record our other podcast, our No Fair Remembering Stuff podcast.
1: Ah, uh-huh. so okay.
2: He
4: did a little dance and uh-huh. incorporated it into that one. Um, uh, same as Sigby. Uh, the fact that the other people were stripped out and not indicted on this to, to sort of streamline it, that's my understanding, to so get to court as fast as possible. And honestly, the quality of the writing was really good. I mean, you know, I would kill if, if Hollywood <laughs> could produce screenplays that there's this clear... Coherent, it tells a story, and it moves along swiftly to a uh, conclusion. And it's just, as a writer, I'm like deeply impressed with the amount of work that went into creating this thing uh, as a machine. It's really, really efficient.
1: It it is quite readable. Whether it will be read by uh, the bulk of the American people, whether it will be read by uh, Republicans at this point is unclear. Uh, Either of you guys have any idea who uh co-conspirator 6 is he's the uh, or she is the only one uh, so far un uh, unnamed uh and and it's unclear who it is uh so do you have any idea who that is and do you have any idea why Republican uh RNC chair Ronna Romney McDaniel uh why is she not cited as a co-conspirator it seems like she was coordinating the whole fake electors scheme uh drift glass
4: uh I think that's a long list to choose from. You could take a bucket of all the possible co conspirators and toss a, a dart into it and come up with someone who's plausible. Mm-hmm. I've heard Jason Miller floated. Mm-hmm. I've heard Ginny Thomas floated. Uh, there are, But it is like <laughs> playing a little, a little bit like playing Columbo. There are a few facts in the document that exclude some people. But at this point, I'm just happy that all of them uh, don't know who it is. And they're all, I hope, <laughs>
1: I, I, and I think just because they're not named in this particular indictment, uh, is, is there any reason to believe that uh, Jack Smith, in addition to bringing indictments for these listed co-conspirators, couldn't also bring additional charges for some of these other people, Heather?
3: Absolutely not. And, we, you know, we've seen that in the Mar-a-Lago case where they came through and they just did a superseding indictment for Trump and for this other, you know, co-conspirator of his down there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's a good chance, and most of the lawyers seem to think that there's just no way that they're not going to charge these five, you know, attorneys who were you know quote advising Trump to overthrow the government. as for the sixth, I do have an idea. Uh-huh. I read somewhere that people are thinking it's Boris Epstein, which is kind of oh. interesting because he's a lawyer too, mm-hmm. but there's an email that's cited specifically in there that was sent from him to juliani or to this co-conspirator number six to Giuliani uh, on a specific date. And I think that some of the, the reporters have tracked that to Epstein. So, you know, he was a lawyer. He's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of acting as a quasi, and what are they calling it, in-house counsel mm-hmm. now. But at the time, I think that he was serving as a political uh, advisor, you know, some kind of a campaign advisor. So that's a guess. I mean, obviously, I have no idea. But that's just something that I read. So there you have it.
0: I have also seen some reporting from attorneys that say, hey, it's also possible that these people, the co-conspirators, have already been indicted. But those might have been sealed and we just don't know yet. So I think you're probably right, Digby, that uh, there's no way it seems that they cannot indict these (laughs) co-conspirators.
1: I, I think the uh, biggest surprise, actually, for me, and there was a, it was a lot, obviously, there was a lot in here, uh, John Eastman being involved much more than I thought, you know, sort of uh, actually calling state legislators and, and saying, hey, let the court sort it out. Just go ahead and decertify based on fraud, even though we don't know what any, you know, we don't we haven't identified any, but just go ahead and do it. That surprised me. Um Uh, But the biggest surprise, I think, is that it took this long to get here. And, you know, as we've been discussing, I think Jack Smith likely has much, much more, and there's going to be more indictments and... Perhaps even more charges for Donald Trump down the road, but the bulk of what is contained in the indictment, Heather, was stuff that was already found at least a year ago by the House January 6th Committee that I was probably talking to you and Driftglass about almost a year ago now.
3: That's right, and I think there are a couple of things about that that I think are really interesting. The first is is that, you know, it appears that the Department of Justice really didn't do much in the first year. Um for whatever reason, they were laying out, you know, we, we don't really know what the thinking was there. Maybe they were, you know, working on getting evidence from people's phones, and it was taking forever. I mean, there's a lot of speculation about why the, the delay in doing that. But, of course, Jack Smith, when they turned it over to Jack Smith, it seemed like, you know, they were sort of ready to go. Mm. And he has not taken that long. I think he was appointed in, what was it, last November? November, October? late November yeah, November, yeah. So, I mean, he's moved pretty quickly yeah. on this when you consider the scope of the case. Um, but a lot of what I mean, of those of us who followed the January 6th um, committee hearings and the report that they put out at the end, this follows that narrative and it follows it really pretty closely. There is some new information in it. Mm-hmm. Clearly, Mike Pence cooperated and gave testimony that sheds light on some of the stuff that Trump was saying to him personally, which is, you know, trying to coerce him into, you know, committing a felony. <laughs> um, and, you know, so, so we know that, that the January 6th committee, it appears the work that they did probably flowed pretty directly into the DOJ case when Jack Smith came in. He had all that stuff. At least it gave it some kind of an outline for, mm-hmm. for you know, the, the kind of thing that they could look for. And the second thing I wanted to say about that is that that, you know, the the hearings that we saw. I mean, we covered them. I think I was on with you after every single one. Yeah. Um. And you know, we, we're not going to get a televised. Trial. I know a lot of people are hoping that they will, but it's up to John Roberts. And come on, let's be let's be serious. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to happen. Mm, we'll so th- th- we'll th- that we. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's highly, highly, highly unlikely uh-huh. he's going to go along with this. So what we are going to get, we'll get breathless reports from the reporters, and, you know, it'll be exciting and interesting and historical and, you know, historic. It'll be all the good things. But the fact that we had those televised hearings with those witnesses mm. and we heard them say this is really going to play into the national consciousness of how this trial is going to play out. So, you know, we may not see Trump sitting there, which is unfortunate. I would really like to see that, but... Um, I think that this trial, the 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 outcome, hopefully, the outcome that we all believe that it should have. We'll, we'll have credibility largely because we did get to see all of that already in the January 6th committee. So, I mean, it's better than nothing, right?
1: Well, I guess so. I, I, and I wonder if, uh, you know, some of the charges, one of the things that uh, many of us believed was going on at the Department of Justice, and I think it was going on, was they were obviously, you know, rounding up uh, about a thousand of the folks on the ground. They were working their way up through the yeah. uh, the, the oath keepers and the three percenters and so forth and and bringing uh, conspiracy charges against them, and we sort of thought okay what they 're going to do is eventually tie it up through uh, you know uh, roger stone and and Steve Bannon and so forth up to the white house that 's the connection that was not made here. I don't know if it ever will be, um, but, you know, without that stuff, you sort of almost, I mean, how is it that a House committee, uh, Driftglass, can get this information a year before the Department of Justice with all of the resources that the Department of Justice has at its, at its fingertips?
4: Yeah, I, I too got the impression they were going after. I think today, the thousand and ninety sixth ninety-sixth or seventh January 6th insurrectionist, is going to trial or being sentenced. So it, the, the thing that impressed me was because the January 6th committee is misnamed. Mm-hmm. It is not the January 6th committee mm-hmm. because it's this huge conspiracy that peaked on January 6th. Yep. Right. But it was, it was understanding the, the sort of the sweep of what was going on, how, how extensive the conspiracy was, how deep it went, where all the roots went, and the fact that there were all these different paths that all these different people were trying to accomplish the same ends, until they finally just said, screw it, we're going in and, and that's, that's the last thing we can do. I think they had a, they didn't understand how big this thing was until they got into it. Mm-hmm. And they started to realize, holy crap, this is <laughs> this is vast. This makes Watergate look like a third-rate burglary. Yep. Uh, this is really serious and it involves lots of different branches of government. It involves people outside the government. It could have potentially involved the military um, and on and on and on. And so they they sort of had a hard time getting their arms around exactly how big this was. And where do you start when you're starting with just the mob that tried to break in and, and sort of work your way backwards? So I know it was a big piece of work. I'm deeply impressed by the work they did. Mm-hmm. I wish this had all happened eight months ago, nine months ago, a year ago. I wish they had a bigger bulldozer to uh, mm-hmm. dig out with.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But
4: um, They were fighting against the obstruction of everyone involved, including pretty much the entire Republican Party. So...
1: I, you know, I've uh, referred to, and you're right. I think it was misnamed. It was already a long name, but that said, I've sort of always referred to it as the uh, House January 6 or the the House Committee investigating January 6 and Trump's other failed attempts yeah. to steal the election, exactly, um, because there were a lot of them, and a lot of them are are detailed in this uh, in this indictment. Uh, they try to, in fact, everything they could to st- that th- anything that they could think of and they were pretty inventive uh, to steal the 2020 election but even the Jack Smith indictment does not use that word even though it's the easiest and simplest explanation for what they were doing do you uh, Bill Driftglass have any idea what you know what the allergy is to asserting the plain fact that a sitting American president has tempted over and over again to steal a presidential election the only use of that word Uh, In the entire indictment, I think, is a quote from Trump where he says something like, this is what happens when you steal an election from the American people, falsely claiming that Democrats had stolen the election. My argument here is that it would be a hell of a lot easier for the American people to understand what just happened if they described it in those simplest terms possible. What is the allergy uh, to Democrats, to Jack Smith even, and to the media from using that word?
4: Well, well, I'm a Democrat, and I will say, for the record, he tried to steal the election. Okay, so, good. So you got one on your All side. All right,
1: one so far. <laughs> and I should uh, note, by the way, Joy Reid on MSNBC has been using that description. She yeah. used it a lot yesterday. As it turns out, ironically enough, I believe she's the only one on MSNBC that has been following the Brad blog on Twitter for <laughs> years and years. Anyway, yeah, please proceed, Governor.
4: Uh, no, I, I just, I'm trying to separate myself as a Democrat from the fact that these are a bunch of lawyers who are bringing a case, um, an mm-hmm. indictment before a court, and they want to be extremely careful about the language they use, yes. and they want to be extremely careful about laying into the text anything that the defense can exploit. And then mm-hmm. going after it sort of just as a series of four, three or four understandable, comprehensible, legally mm-hmm. adjudicable crimes is just easier than trying to throw a whole thing over it that says this was a vast insurrection conspiracy to overthrow the government, which it was, clearly was.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I think it's just easier. I mean, you know, uh, they got Capone for tax evasion. Right. Uh, and look-
1: I accept that from the uh, prosecutors and uh, because there is no, you know, crime called election theft uh, at the right. federal level to my knowledge. I accept it from them. But what's up with the elected democratic officials? What's up with most notably the media here? Because I mean, is there any question that if the situation was reversed, that is exactly how Republicans would be characterizing what happened and therefore the media would be uh, characterizing it that way and therefore the American people would see it that way.
4: Well, now, now, this only goes for an hour, right? The show. I,
1: <laughs> we'll I, see. We'll,
4: we'll see. You put a nickel in me. I'll talk <laughs> every right, day. Um, all right, go ahead. All right. No, I completely agree, and I really do wish that there was a concatenation of events that goes from X to the media to the American people. I don't think there is any such thing as the American people anymore. Mm. I think there are um, people in the middle who are desperate to stay in the middle. There are a bunch of Democrats and liberals and lefties and people like you and I who, who pretty much understand what's going on here. And then there are the unreachable, uneducable right. And it really doesn't matter what the facts are, what the New York Times says, what I say. They're never going to be reached. So I think right now, politically, we are in the middle of trench warfare. We're going, you know, we're playing for inches right now because mm. there's never going to be um, a hole blown in the GOP so big. That you're going to get landslides like um, Johnson or Roosevelt.
1: Let me, uh, and we'll, we're going to take a, a break here shortly, and come back and talk more about the politics. But uh, Heather, I think I've, uh, I, I think I've spoken to you about this before. But uh, do you want to ring in on this? Since you know you put a, yeah. nickel, you put a nickel in Driftglass, and boy, he'll talk for an hour. And,
3: so. I will ring in on it yeah. and defend myself. May I just read to you the? Yes. Uh, The kicker of my piece that I wrote for Salon this morning. Yes, please. Donald Trump is under indictment for trying to steal an election, but he may very well be given absolution for his crimes by the free and fair electoral system he has demeaned and degraded ever since he entered (laughs) politics. So, you know, I do read the Brad blog every day. Thank you. And I can prove it. Thank (laughs) you. Well... that
1: I said that yes uh, well uh, I'm, I guess i 'm winning them over uh, one reader or listener at a time that 's all <laughs> I can do this uh, thank you, this, uh, thank you. Uh, this this case uh before we get to a break uh, you know I, we mentioned uh, the other uh, two indictments there 's a fourth one coming, but Something about this case seems different than the other ones. The other ones, they are about corruption and accountability, as is this case. Obviously, you know, stealing. uh, There's that word again. Stealing uh, 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 classified national security documents from the White House is a huge deal. But there's something about this one. It feels like to me because uh, it feels like because it's also about democracy. And the heart of how this country works and um, why it really does matter to the rest of the world. Uh, Heather, do do you have that sense on this particular case, the sort of gravity here on this?
3: Absolutely. They're all big, right? I mean, the, the fact that a former president and, you know, there are many cases that could have been brought against him. He was corrupt the entire time he was in office running his business out of the Oval Office. He had a pay-to-play hotel right down the street where people were dumping huge, vast sums of money into his pocket while mm-hmm. he was president. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. And all of these cases, the E.G. Carroll to mm-hmm. the you know Alvin Bragg case in Manhattan, the Letitia James Civil case up there, Mar-a-Lago, Bonnie Willis, This it goes directly to the heart of the worst thing he did, and he did a lot of horrible things. But (laughs) this is historic; we've never seen anything like it. In fact, Neil Katyal was on uh, MSNBC yesterday. I mean, he was the former acting Mm -hmm. former acting solicitor general under Obama, and he Mm is, you know, he's all over TV, and he's a you know kind of a big Supreme Court, you know, uh, litigator. In any case, what what he said yesterday, I mean he said that this is one of the most significant legal events ever in the history of this country. It's up there with Marbury versus Madison, Brown versus Board of Education, and Dred Scott as a defining case for the times. Mm. He said this case lays out this indictment lays out a case that a guy who was president of the United States while he was president of the US leveraged his office used his power to thwart the will of the people in the most solemn thing they do in our country, vote. This is the biggest constitutional crime in our history. I mean, mm. you know, I'll, 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 I'll endorse that. <laughs> I the, mean, it's huge. It is really, really a
4: big deal.
1: The biggest constitutional crime in our history. Uh, agree, diff, uh, Driftglass?
4: Oh, oh hey, amen. Uh, other than seceding from the Union and making actual war on the United States government, yeah. <laughs> this is the biggest constitutional crime against the Constitution, crime against the fundamental institution of our country,
1: ever. Well, give it time. The summer is barely uh, (laughs) underway. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with our special coverage of Donald Trump's third indictment, and arguably his biggest one, uh, with uh, Heather Digby Parton of Salon and Drift Glass of the Pro-Left Podcast, and, of course, Desi Doyen and me, Brad Friedman, right here on the Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks.
0: You're listening to an Encore presentation of the Bradcast.
2: Don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Uh
1: Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Special coverage of Donald Trump's latest indictment. In case you're hearing this uh, some weeks down the road in reruns, uh, this would be his <laughs> third of fourth, probably, uh, indictment. His uh, second federal indictment with Georgia still to come bet on it uh all right let me uh we've got a heather digby partner of salon drift glass of pro left podcast here uh let me give you guys a chance i want to hit some of the politics here uh just to respond to uh, some of the responses from donald trump on his social media site uh he will be in, uh, arraigned on thursday I'm guessing he's going to plead not guilty, but, uh, you know, uh, and of course he is not guilty until he's been uh, proven guilty, but uh, let let me hit a couple of his uh, comments from his social media site. Um, uh, Heather, you can take this one, uh, quote, why didn't they bring this ridiculous case two and a half years ago? They wanted it right in the middle of my campaign. That's why. Heather? (laughs) Heather?
3: Well, it's ridiculous, obviously. And we just talked about why it was delayed. But clearly, I mean, this is a big case. The cases take time. And it's not surprising that it would have taken two and a half years for them to to get to from January sixth to an indictment. As far as doing it in the middle of his campaign, he's the one, of course, projecting again. He's the one who announced his campaign, you know, practically right out of you know, the the, the day he, he, he left office, yeah. in order for him to make this argument. Well, you can't do this. I mean, everything he's doing right now, his entire campaign, his quest for don't getting back into the, uh, into the office, and his hope that he can become president again, is to keep his sorry behind out of jail. <laughs> That's where he's at right now. And so this is just another of his, you know, projections onto the Justice Department. They didn't care about, you know, so to the extent that they care about him running, it's that they're trying to get it before it gets to the point uh-huh. where it's too close to the election. So well, he's out of his
1: mind. And, and actually, to be more specific, the only reason that uh, Jack Smith is on this case is because right after the <clears throat> right after the twenty twenty two elections, uh, that's when he officially declared that he was a candidate, and that that's is right. when uh, uh, Merrick Garland named Jack Smith. Had he not. Merrick Garland might have still been considering the matter, and we wouldn't have these indictments. So uh, again, he has only himself to blame. All right, uh, Driftglass, uh, this from uh, his uh, statement. He put out a four or five paragraph statement in response to the uh, to the indictment concerning his efforts to steal the 2020 election. "Quote the lawlessness of these persecutions of President Trump and his supporters is reminiscent of." Nazi Germany in the 1930s, the former Soviet Union, and other authoritarian dictatorial regimes. President Trump has always followed the law and the Constitution (laughs) with advice from many highly accomplished attorneys.
4: Yeah. The the Founding Fathers (laughs) came up to him with tears in their eyes, going, Sir, (laughs) Sir, Sir. Yeah. But I've heard it said that. You know, um, um, martyring yourself is hard because getting that last nail in is really, really impossible. <laughs> um, you know, this is just Trump stuff. This is just worse than the Nazis, worse than the Kardashians on Star Trek, worse than Darth Vader. And, it, it, you know, it's gibberish. It, it, it is meaningless, but it, it is intentional uh-huh. because it keeps the people that mm. he wants on his side on his side. And he is absolutely shameless, and mm. known this since the day he came down the escalator. Whatever red meat I need to throw to the meatheads to keep them angry and charged up and sending me money,
2: mm-hmm. exactly,
4: um, mm. I'll do. And mm. he, he he is cranking out, you know, content bits for Byron York. You know, mm-hmm. um, all, all the all the the smart intellect, the intellectuals. You know, the National Review crowd. They're all like, this is the worst thing that ever happened. This is the most unfair thing in the world. He's cranking out content for Fox and for Newsmax and all the megaphones that he needs to keep himself afloat and raising money. So, you know, this is just going to go on forever. It's it's now routine. It shouldn't be. Screaming Nazi and, and they're out to get me it should not be routine for a president, a uh, former president to get away with. But mm-hmm. that's who he is. Well. So no surprise.
1: As they say about the Republicans, Donald Trump these days, every accusation is a confession. Um, Heather, uh, Rudy Giuliani, uh, his aide, apparently he has an aide still, a guy by the name of Ted Goodman put out a statement that, quote, every fact the uh, former New York City mayor had uh, had establishes the good faith basis President Donald Trump had for the actions he took during the two-month period charged in the indictment. Um, so I guess they are claiming that all of these false claims about fraud proven to be uh, false over and over again are actually still true, according to Rudy Giuliani's uh, spokesperson uh, to quote from the now quaint Watergate era. Does that dog still hunt?
3: Oh, absolutely not. But I'm sure that they're going to try and and do that. I mean, from what I gathered in the first few hours, Mm -hmm. you know, they just they went crazy on Fox News and Newsmax and OAN and all the rest of them um, that you know that is going to be part of the defense at least publicly. I don't know if the lawyers will try and, and want to you know open up that can of worms in there. I kind of doubt it, but you never know. I mean these aren't just look I mean he's had now he's had five lawyers named as co-conspirators, <laughs> and yes. maybe the sixth one's a lawyer too. so mm-hmm. let's just say his you know his uh, the caliber of his legal advice isn't the greatest. Because he's indicted because of the stuff that they that they were helping him do, and you know I don't I don't think that um, you know that's necessarily going to be a good excuse, but you're going to hear it, no doubt about it. Mm. That of course it was true that you know all those claims that Donald Trump made, and Trump's going to make them do that because that is exactly what he wants to hear. I mean they are you know it's, it's they're persecuting him because he won the election and tried to you know saved democracy by doing all these things and was thwarted, and here he comes again. He's going to save us now. We're going to get him back into the White House. I mean, that's going to be the argument for him. And it's, you know, it's pathetic and it gives you a big headache and, yeah. you know, you want to throw something, but that that's where we're at.
0: Well, I also think that part of what seems to be suggested by Republicans on Fox News and other right-wing media, and also from at least one of the Trump lawyers, uh, they seem to be suggesting that they're going to argue that because Trump really 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 believed what some of his lawyers told him that therefore his efforts were all in uh, good faith and they can't get him on what he actually believed was true but something that Marcy Wheeler Empty Wheel uh, had said was she's like you know whether he believed it or not despite it being very clear that he was explicitly told over and over and over again that he was absolutely wrong regardless of whether he believed it it doesn't actually matter Marcy says because uh, one of the counts that he is under uh, the obstructing the counting of the electoral college vote that conspiracy she says that even if Trump believed he won, he can't conspire to stop the counting of the electoral college vote. Mm. Regardless of what you believe, you're not allowed to do that.
1: Uh, Bill uh, Driftglass, Mister Electrico, what will uh, what will history have to say about Mike Pence? I you know I believe, uh, and I know uh, Digby has disagreed with me about this in the in the in the past, but I actually believe that Pence was, in fact, yes. An actual profile and Courage on January 6th and in the lead up to January 6th. And I know that's uh, outrageous to think of Mike Pence and Courage in the same sentence, but I actually think that he was. Nonetheless, since then, it seems like he has done everything possible to reverse that legacy since January 6th uh, for some reason.
4: What, what
1: how does how, how does this fall uh, for history down the road
4: well um, someone once told me that um, appeals to history are a secular plea for divine judgment and it is the idea that what will people in the future looking back on this mm-hmm. say, and you know we can't possibly know mm-hmm. I would suggest that Mike Pence tried everything in his power to um, comply with his boss mm-hmm he called Dan Quayle, because, you know, if, if I, whenever I'm in <laughs> doubt about some moral question uh, on which the future of the nation hangs, I call Dan Quayle uh-huh. and ask him, didn't call Dick Cheney, didn't call anybody else, call Dan Quayle. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. um,
4: and he, he really, really wanted someone to tell him it was okay. And it wasn't okay. And he got uh, he got in a place where he could either um, go down in history as the man who blew up the country, or he could do one right thing when people were storming the Capitol, threatening to murder him. And he did the right thing at the right time, Mm -hmm. um, and has lived to regret it, because (laughs) he's a Republican. Mm. And in the Republican Party, he is a Judas. He is a traitor. He has turned on them, and there is a separate branch of history that apparently Republicans read, where Nixon (laughs) was screwed, and he should have burned the tapes, and, Mm. and... mike pence will go down in that book as uh judas and the traitor or he'll disappear from history completely he is the, a fraction of a man and he did one right thing on, on the day and that's great i'm glad he was there um but that's all he's done and and the reason he's reversed himself at every step along the way is because he wants to be you know he wants to run for office he wants to have a future and the only way to do that in that party is to climb right up back inside donald trump's rectum and <laughs> be a. Uh, cheerleader for everything except that one moment.
1: And yet, ironically, he's the only one who can't seem to get back uh, to qualify on the debate stage. No. Everyone else has gotten uh, on there. Chris Christie apparently is going to qualify, but even uh, Mike Pence can't get back on. Heather, uh, well, It, it yeah, seems
0: like it's a problem that Republicans just don't care. Yeah, it seems like that ought to be a thing that the media would cover. Mm-hmm. Well, really, I think so.
1: they don't care. Uh, Heather, I didn't want to cut you off if you wanted to get down on that.
3: No, I did, I did, because you and I have discussed this before, and I, I'm, with, I'm with Driftglass on this. I, I, I do not see Pence as being a big hero. I'm grateful for the fact that he didn't decide to overthrow the government that day. Mm-hmm. That was big of him, and every other <laughs> vice president in history didn't decide not to overthrow the government that day. Uh-huh. And in this indictment, there is an interesting thing in it, which we didn't know before, at least I didn't, and I think it's new in the indictment, um, you know, th- Well, it's not new. I mean, actually, the point that I'm going to make here is that that they, um, you know, his, um, I guess it was his chief of staff, they were saying, Trump said to, and that would be Mark Short somewhere, Mm -hmm. said uh, said to him, well, you know, Mike needs to know that if uh, he doesn't do what I want, I'm going to have to go public about him. Clearly a threat. And, of course, he did go public about him, you know, and we know what the result of that was. Mm -hmm. And Mark Short Short walked off and had a talk with the Secret Service. That was protecting Pence. Now, we know what that was all about, right? We've seen that in the January sixth stuff, where Pence was down in the garage, and they, you know, they whisked him down there, and he refused to get in the car with uh, the Secret Service, uh, evidently uh, afraid of getting it. I mean, he's later said, in a fatuous excuse, that well, I didn't think any, I didn't want anybody to see me leaving the Capitol. But there is something to that, in that they were afraid, obviously, that the Secret Service, which, you know, was many of whom were loyal to Trump, yeah. would whisk him off and keep him from coming back to serve yeah. by the election later that day. Mm-hmm. So, he, you know, here this is the position they were in. Now, Pence knew that he was warned ahead of time that Trump was going to go after him. Trump even said to him, well, you're too honest, when, you know, yes. Pence said he couldn't do it. You know, Pence could have. Just picture what we, where we were at that moment. The election was over. All the lawsuits were done. They were just on the cusp of going to, to, you know, um, certify the election. Mm -hmm. This is is a day or two before, before the certification. You know, Pence could have called up Fox News and said, I need to come on today. I got something to say. And he could have blown the whistle on this before January Mm. 6th, before any of that stuff happened, and warned people because he knew what was going to happen. And he didn't do that. So to me, you know, I appreciate the fact that since the indictments come down, he said some stuff. I mean, today was pretty salty. He said the president was surrounded by a group of crackpot lawyers that kept telling his itching ears what they wanted to hear. Which is pretty good for Pence, you know. That's not that, yeah. He did right, you know. Um, you, know yeah. th- you know, so he's he's been, you know, since the indictment, and it's clear that he testified, right? I mean, he he, yeah. he yes. basically oh, yeah. spilled his guts to the grand jury. Mm-hmm. So you know, he now after all this, maybe he's just recognized that he has no constituency, and he's never going to be president, and might as well try to repair his damaged, you know, reputation. Um, but you know, there was a guy who knew what was happening and understood that this that Trump was getting. Very aggressive and threatening, and he didn't do that, you know.
1: I mean, yeah, I
2: know I hear you. him,
1: I hear you, and I think when I talk about his moment of uh, his profile and courage, it was that moment, it was that moment yeah, on the loading dock moment. when yep. he wouldn't get in uh, <laughs> to that car because it would have been a very different story today had he done that, I suspect. Yeah. So for that, we'll give him kudos for everything thereafter. Uh, not so much. Uh, very quickly, I got just a, a, few, a couple of minutes here, and I want to get in some thoughts first. And I sort of want to get uh, all three of your thoughts on this. Um, I know I'm getting ahead of myself here. Well, maybe I'm not. Uh, how would you guys feel about Trump striking a plea deal to plead guilty, to pay a huge fine, to take some home confinement for uh, a number of years uh, in order to stay out of prison? And most importantly, a la Nixon and uh, the vice president, uh, Spiro Agnew, specifically, uh, drop out of the race for president, vow to never run for public office again. If he floated that idea... Um how would you how would you feel about that idea? Would you would you be in favor of it or against it? Uh, Driftglass?
4: you mean trust Donald Trump to keep his word that he's not going to run for office again since there's no way to bind him legally to do that.
2: Okay. Uh, no.
4: I don't trust him at all. You know, this this is if we want to go all Nazi, it's you know, it's Hitler signing and breaking treaties right and left. Donald Trump will say anything he wants, and five minutes later when it conveniences him, he will turn around and say, I never said that. They tricked me into it. I had to do it. I was being clever. Uh-huh. They're a bunch of criminals, and I outsmarted them, and we're right back in the stuff. No. So, so I want you... them to go to prison. I want them to die there. Uh, okay.
1: <laughs> uh, how do you really feel about it? Heather, your thoughts on that idea? Well, I mean, do, we, do you prefer to have him run for office, or do you want him out?
3: I, I I would like to see him out, but I don't, you know, the idea of this is just so far-fetched. I can't imagine this would happen. But I really? do think the idea of home can... Home confinement is something that we should think about, because there's almost no way that Trump is going to be put in jail. And the reason is is that he is, he is required mm-hmm. via the Constitution to have Secret Service protection, and right. there's almost no way to sort of do that. So I would expect that if he is found guilty, and somehow or another we get through the appeals, and he ends up having to actually do time, I think it will be home confinement. Him not allowed to go anywhere Mm -hmm. with a bunch of conditions. You know, no TV. He doesn't get to go on TV. He doesn't get Mm. to tweet. He doesn't do all these things as part of his, his sentence. Uh, In lieu of actually going to jail, I'm guessing that, but I I just can't, I can't see it happening, how Mm. they would, how they would actually put him behind bars, but they could confine him, which is fine with me, I just don't ever want to see him again, you know, (laughs) just put him in there, and get him away, and I don't want to hear from him, and I don't want to have anything to do with him, he's, he's old, he's, you know, not going to be around that much longer anyway, so, you know, let it, well That's i you know
1: I, I think at some point he 's going to face a very real prospect of heading to prison, and I believe that if there is anything that Donald Trump is, it is a coward, and he does not want to go to prison if only because he won 't be able to quaff his hair and he 's <laughs> going and i 'm not kidding, and he will do anything to avoid that, including if you know his last trump card, if you will saying okay i 'll drop out of the election." Send me to home confinement. By the way, in a you know my home resort that I live in, which that sounds
0: like a pretty come sweet to visit deal. Right yeah, in. exactly. Yeah, um, I think. For me, I think the country really does need to go through this, and I would hope that the DOJ would not accept to go through the trial. Yeah, to go through the, the trial, full, to go right. through airing it all out, no matter what happens. I mean, it's obviously going to take years to do this. You know, uh, I don't know how many years, but many years rather than trying to um, set it aside in a way that I don't think will work, especially based on what <laughs> Ruth Glass just said.
1: So, if he proposed that idea. If you floated it, you would oppose it, does he? Yeah,
0: I think so. I think so. I think Driftglass makes a good point that you cannot trust Trump to abide by any agreement.
1: (laughs) Lastly, uh, let's run around the table here uh, one more time, starting with Desi this time. How does this not hurt him politically? We hear this over and over again, not just from Fox News, but we hear it from the. Uh, you know the supposed non uh right wing media that uh oh you know every time he he uh, gets indicted, this helps him, his money comes in he uh, his popularity goes up uh it seems like that 's among the Republicans, not among the American people and I think uh that you know it does not help him is my argument i mean i can 't imagine that there's Anyone out there who wants to vote for him now because of these indictments that was not otherwise planning to vote for the guy anyway, this does not help him. It can only hurt him. It seems to me. Am I wrong?
0: I don't think you're wrong about that. I think that the polls kind of show that there's a very distinct, uh, very strong component of the electorate that is going to be ride or die with Trump no matter what. And beyond that, ride or die group, I think that it is going to erode his support. Because I think most Americans really don't want somebody who tried to overthrow the government as president.
4: Drifty? Um, I think that uh, the right will be unaffected by this at all. There'll be no effect. They have a procedure for this, which is, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop, butter emails, scream like hell, jump up and down, wave your arms, and ignore it and say they're out to get us. So that's, you can write all of them off. Again, it's, it's the people in the middle. It's the fence straddlers who really don't want to vote for either party. And is no-label looking good? I certainly like those no labels, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds interesting. I, I'm concerned that the people who are so terrified of taking a side Um, don't want to take a side that any alternative to throwing away their vote they will take. The last election came down to a few thousand votes in a few states. Yes, it did. And so it doesn't really matter what the popular vote is. What it matters is the Electoral College. And if we can just repeat the 2020 election, I'm fine with that. But I don't know that that's possible. I think Joe Biden is getting screwed by the media. I think he's doing a fine job. I Mm -hmm. think the economy has a story to tell. Mm -hmm. None of that is getting out. Mm. So it's going to be Trump, 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 Trump until Election Day. And again, the people who want to believe that both sides are evil and both sides are bad and Hunter Biden's laptop is just as important as Donald Trump committing treason are going to go right on believing that no matter what anybody says. Uh,
1: Heather, your thought. Is it true? I, I, see, I really, I, I hear what uh, Bill is saying there, uh, that it's going to make no difference on uh, among Republicans. I just can't believe that is true. I mean... I know that there is 80 percent or uh, something like that, that uh, of the Republican Party that is all in for Donald Trump. But each and every one of these things, again, uh, if if you are a, a Republican who has always voted Republican, but you're just not sure how you feel about that Donald Trump guy, this is not going to help. This has got to hurt, at least hurt uh, in the in the uh, case of more people than it would actually Help encourage them to vote for Donald Trump, right?
3: Well, I don't think, I don't think it's going to get anybody to vote for him that wasn't going to vote for him. I, I don't think there's anybody, there's not a, there's not a, a constituency out there for, gee, I really didn't like Donald Trump until he got <laughs> indicted. You know, what I mean, that's really, boy, right. now I'm Good really, point. I mean, maybe there are a few criminals out there that go, hey man, he's just <laughs> yeah. my dude. You know, I mean, I don't know, but I don't, I don't think that that's true, but I think it does, there are two things that are going to happen here. And that is that I think as Driftglass says, you know we're in this we're in hand to hand combat here you know this or as you put it trench warfare which i think is a is a more apt uh you know sort political, of uh, political 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 oh, trench, trench warfare. warfare yes yes and yes. and so you know there's just and, and largely because of the fact that we have these two completely distinct media ecosystems and people are operating on completely different sets of information that's a big problem but there is a group out there there are people that are sort of you know kind of that aren't completely brainwashed you know there's some sort of yeah. independents who normally lean Republican, you know, they came out, in 20, you know, let's face it, I mean, the Democrats really did well in the last three elections um, under the circumstances of trench warfare, political trench warfare, so, you know, th- that, that dynamic is going to be there, and I think that in that sense, the indictment actually hurts Trump. Hmm. It will get his people out, they'll be out there to defend yeah. their, you know, their orange Jesus, but it also gets the other side out. You know, there are a whole exactly. lot of other people who just you know we can't have a criminal, you know, a guy who's just been been convicted or he's on trial or whatever the situation. is. We can't have that. We just can't have it. Gosh, and I probably, hope you're right. You know, yeah, I, I hope. I, I hope so. I, mean, I hope I do you're
1: hope right, so. too. But well, we got to yeah. get out. we got to get out. I do hope you're right. We'll leave it uh, with that uh, positive thought. And a, uh, a, a request to both of you to join us uh, any minute now when Fonny Willis comes in.
3: <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll hang here by the phone. Thank you. I, pre- I do appreciate
1: that. Uh Drift Glass, otherwise known as Mr. Electrico on the Twitters or the website formerly known as Twitter, can be found uh, both there and at ProLeftPod.com. And Heather Digby-Parton, otherwise known as Digby, can also be found at Salon.com and net, as well as on the former Twitters at Digby56. Always great speaking with you guys. I look forward to it. We'll be doing it soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We have got to get out. My <laughs> yes. thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thank you very much, Des. Mm-hmm. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program It's uh, the special episode of the Bradcast. You can download it or any other show we have ever done for free at bradblog.com. That, of course, is made possible by those of you who have been kind enough in the past to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help support our work here, thanks to those in particular who have signed up for a monthly subscription of any amount you like or can afford, bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebook's mastodons and site formerly known as Twitter. I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
0: listening to the broadcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by
5: bradblog.com/donate. I'm Rick Smith and this is labor history in two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1934. That was the day striking teamsters in Minneapolis defied martial law. They stopped scab trucks, forcing the release of their strike leaders. Armed with bayonets and machine guns, the National Guard had patrolled the streets for nearly a week. They seized scores of strikers and union leaders and threw them into military stockades. Drivers were outraged. They defied Governor Olson and Major General Wall who, on behalf of the Citizens Alliance and trucking bosses, were determined to break the strike. Soon after strikers were imprisoned, drivers began chasing scab trucks across the city. Multiple reports poured in of picketers forcing trucks to stop. Some unloaded their cargo onto bridges. Others chased, captured, and damaged the scab trucks. Strikers ripped ignition wires out, forced scabs from the wheel, and then disappeared before police and the National Guard could arrive to retaliate. In just three hours, strikers had overturned nearly 70 trucks. Unable to stop the superior force of striking drivers, Bill Brown, Vincent, and Miles Dunn were ordered unconditionally released from the military stockades. Now, employers, the governor, and other strike-breaking agencies were eager to propose peace to federal mediators. But they proposed to scrap the terms of their earlier May agreement. In response, the leaders of Local 574 issued a general strike call in it they asked quote is there one man so blind as not to see that if 574 is allowed to go down to defeat under the brutal hammering of military despotism the whole labor movement of the city will have been dealt a mortal blow union men brothers sisters fellow workers what are you going to do about it we appeal to you for solidarity labor history in two brought to you by the illinois labor history society and the rick smith show